Welcome to Broadway's Backbone with Brad Bradley, a podcast dedicated to the men and women of the ensemble, the chorus of dancers, singers, and actors that are the foundation of every Broadway musical. These often unsung gypsies are the hardest working people on the boards and are, well, Broadway's backbone. Welcome to episode 94. My guest is Tony Spinoza. Welcome to Broadway's Backbone. It is 2022 and we are deep into the pandemic. And I thought, you know what? I wanted to do a topic and this topic is about support. I've realized the importance of support in my life, not only in show business, but just in my personal life and my emotional life. And I'm very excited because my guest today is one of my favorite people, Mr. Tony Spinoza. And he has been part of my support system since 1995. I am so happy that he's been here in my life when we met. I was in college and I was a beer drinking pizza chugging thing and he kind of was like let me talk to you about New York City and moving to New York City you were just already nurturing and then when I moved to New York City the first week I stayed in your apartment for some of my very first auditions ever when I met Susan Stroman I was staying in your apartment on Jane Street we were in Atlantic City right before we came up here and one of our Monday nights we came and saw Love, Valor, Compassion it was rain stormed and I was like oh my god Tony I'm moving to New York City and you've been part of my life ever since that you know from Broadway openings to parents dying, to getting sober, to me crying over stupid boys. It's just been amazing to have you in my life. And this is just the beginning. So welcome to Broadway's Backbone, Tony Spinoza. How are you? Thank you. I'm good, Brad. I'm honored to be here. Thank you so much for having me as your guest. Oh, it's my pleasure. Your career is so varied. It's really unbelievable. We met on uh, dancing and uh, singing and acting chorus line on a national tour. But then on Broadway, you were also a performer in Peter Pan, but then you were the resident director on Broadway of La Caja Full, the revival, and also on the tour. But then you've also been an associate producer on Broadway with the Actors Fund, with things like Bombshell. But your presence and your choreography and your direction has been all over the country with shows like Newsies and Hairspray, but you even dabbled off-Broadway in the little fringe show called Charlie Chan and the Mysterious Salami. You're also a web designer, a barber, and coming up next, you're a composer, lyricist, and brand new musical theater writer, creator, masterpiece. <laughs> how do you do everything? That's like ridiculous that you can do all that. Well, Brad, it's, it's really how a career progresses in the arts. You know, from a very early age, I was interested in theater. I remember my my nursery school teacher telling my parents, this kid's gonna go into show business, get ready for it. And she was right. Throughout my life, I've always been creating shows and entertaining, and then I entered the professional realm. And my my path has just continued to grow as I've gotten older. And the where I am now with Singing Revolution, the musical, is sort of the, the pinnacle of where my career has brought me to. Well, let's start at the beginning. Uh, where are you from and uh, how'd you get started? I'm originally from Wontaw, Long Island, New York. Yes, that's right, Wontaw, Long Island. And uh, I started, you know, doing community theater when I was very young, 14, 15. My parents let me go and venture off into community theater and working with adults and, of course, doing lots of high school shows and shows in college. And, and throughout that time, I was already putting together jukebox musicals and reviews of different shows. So I've always had that creative mindset throughout my career. 
Uh, in the 90s, I moved to Los Angeles, which really started my professional career doing a lot of leads and a lot of the shows out here in California. And I ended up landing the national tour of Peter Pan, which with Kathy Rigby, that gave me my Broadway debut. I thank California for that because, you know, there's no clear path to Broadway. And that's what finally brought me there. Uh, you know, I did a lot of national tours while I was uh, out of California uh, back in the 90s. After Peter Pan was over, decided to move back to New York and start to focus more on my directing and choreography career. Was there a switch with that? Because that's one of my questions is so many people know exactly when it happened or they've been planning it for a while. What led you to that? So you're so great on stage when you made the switch. I was like, oh, okay, you know. Yeah, you know, I've always choreographed. Uh, and then as I was performing in professional theater, I started to really study some of the wonderful directors that I got to work with, you know, Sam Viverito and Glenn Casal and Terry Johnson. They, they, they were just wonderful mentors to really teach me about directing. And to this day, I still quote them. And, and the only way to really learn directing is to direct. And I was very fortunate to land some jobs very early on once I made the decision that I wanted to transfer into directing. I consider myself an actor's director, and I thank all of those mentors for bringing me here. Well, I can agree that you are an actor's director. You directed my off-Broadway one-man show. That was a huge part of my self-discovery and I was able to just completely trust you and you were able to push me on a vision but also be like okay this is self-indulgent which is very difficult to do especially when you're dealing with a friend but I also got to watch you create something in sweet and hot and like developing something from the ground floor and you're just watching your creativity when you're just electric it's really fascinating I love it thanks you know uh, one thing that I guess I should mention in my path was that very early on when I was I think uh, 19 or 20 years old I was uh, mentored by my Michael Bennett. I wanted to leave college at the time. I was in Villanova University for one year and I said to my parents, you know, I want to study in New York. And luckily through a friend of the family, Father Al Stevenson at the Actors Chapel on 46th Street, he said, well, Tony wants to go into show business. Who can I contact? There's this, you know, new guy that's got this hot show, a chorus line. Let me give him a call. <laughs> and he did. And he arranged for me to meet Michael. And Michael took me around to the different dance studios and introduced me to Chuck Kelly and Frank Hatchett. Phil Black, you know, all the top teachers at the time and said, Tony, get in there and study, study, study and come back and audition for me for a chorus line. Unfortunately, uh, during that time, Michael had passed. But 10 years later, I ended up doing a chorus line based out of Los Angeles with you. Yep. And that was in 1995 is when yep. that happened. Went to Korea. I was a senior in college. But when we got to Korea, you were like, put your books away. We're being tourists. And you were so great. You took me all these really wonderful places. And I'd never been on the road before. So it was so fun to be with people that were like, we're going on this adventure. We're going on this adventure. But it was also cultural. It wasn't just karaoke night. It was also, we're going to this temple. You are a great influence because you're a good company member. Whatever position, whatever hat you have on, you're a good company member. I don't know know how you are as composer lyricist yet but every other hat you're very great to be around so during this time you made a decision to go back to school you went from high school to straight to new york city yeah i did one year at villanova university in pennsylvania i'll say i was on my second tour of peter pan and I had decided that I really wanted to get my college education. It was something that I never completed and something that had weighed on me. I think that was partially my parents saying, you know, you don't have a formal education. And because I had so much time on my hands during the day on national tour, I decided to go back to college online. And I ended up getting a degree in visual communications. That was the, degree, the first degree that I got. And I enjoyed it so much that I went on to get a, a degree in marketing, which is also very helpful as I try to market my projects. And it was one of the most rewarding things that I 
had done for myself because having a formal education degree under your belt, it says a lot for a person. And it was very validating to achieve that and accomplish both degrees, the bachelor's and the MFA degree. In high school, were you a good student? I was an okay student. I was more interested in doing the shows and, you know, doing the shows at the other high schools. I was more interested than the arts than I was in education. So were you shocked that you did so well? Because you like aced college, didn't you? I did. I, I, yes, I, I was a 4.0 student and that was that was shocking to me. But, you know, I think because I wanted to learn at that stage of my life that studying and being a good student came very easily to me as an adult. I like that. So this is around the time where your focus started to go more behind the table. Was there a moment that you knew, like, I like being the visionary? I like this? We talked earlier about being an actor's director. What was it that actually led you to know that that was the direction that you were being pulled the strongest at that point? Uh, it was interesting because moving back to New York after the Peter Pan tours, I was fortunate enough to get a couple of directing jobs that uh, very good promotions for me as a director. And I learned that being an actor's director wasn't enough that as a director, you need to know how to talk to the lights and the sound and the costumes and the projections and so forth and so on. Through studying the directors that I mentioned, I was able to learn how to talk to those different departments. And that's what's made me even a stronger director today. I like that. You and I have been doing this business since we were really young and we've invested in it so much and it's broken our hearts, it's broken our spirits, it's done a huge roller coaster, but yet somehow or another, you honestly love this business more than any other person in my life. That's 100% accurate and your love for it is always authentic even when it's beat up how have you not become bitter and jaded it's always been from a deep place that I see people half your age, like they're already over show business. You have not given up the hope in what you're like a hundred. <laughs> <Thanks, Okay. brother. laughs> I thank my father for this. I have a lot of drive, determination and perseverance. And I, I truly love the art of musical theater. I think it's a, an art form that is sort of waning in our society today. There's not a lot of focus on it, not, not a lot of uh, support from our government, obviously, like there are in other countries. But I see musical theater dwindling some. And, you know, through this latest project that I'm working on, and I really want to engage the youth of America back into musical theater because this is an art form that is unique to America. You know, the British musicals are very different than ours. And I, I want to preserve our art form and see it thrive into the future. I like things that motivate people and keep them going. As close as you and I are, we're so different. Like sometimes when I need motivation, I'm like, okay, I'm going to do yoga and meditate and I'll send you something. You're like, Okay, yeah, no, I'm not meditating. So what are things that motivate you and keep you going? Outdoors and nature is definitely one of them. Traveling and experiencing different cultures and talking to different people from around the world. That, that's also very inspiring. Americans, I believe, tend to not look past our borders. And that's something that I realized very early on. And I started to you know, watch BBC news rather than our local news because I was interested in what's happening around the world and keeping our, our minds open to other possibilities. And, and that's part of what has brought me to Singing Revolution, the musical was keeping my my eyes open to what's happening around the world. Now your newest passion project, which you've been working on five years? How eight years, eight years. Eight years, oh my goodness. Yeah. So listen to that, ladies and gentlemen, eight years to get a public performance. Musical theater is hard, a lot of red tape and a lot of creativity. So tell me how it came into your life. Sure. You know, uh, during my career, I've, I've worked on a lot of adaptations. I've worked on jukebox musicals, but I was really searching for an original story. I, I find original stories to be 
fascinating in musical theater. You know, stories like Come From Away and, and mm-hmm. Dear Evan Hansen and Hamilton. These are all, all original, not, not based on movies or jukebox musicals. And I was on a cruise in the Baltics in 2014. And the story of Estonia's singing revolution found me. And what was so fascinating to me was that this country... They're very big on singing music and and song. It's a very popular pastime, just like baseball is for the U.S. And these people used singing to shield themselves against Soviet attacks. This is back in 1987 to 1991. And in doing so, they were able to achieve their re-independence from the Soviet Union without one drop of bloodshed. And these huge events that they would come together and propel were, I I can't believe that we didn't didn't hear about them in the United States. You know, one of them being the Baltic chain, which was a human chain 400 miles long that was packed with 2 million people holding hands, singing for freedom to release them from the Soviets. It's fascinating, the Baltic chain, and there are many events like this. This is just sort of a wonderful example of how these people use singing to get their freedom. And I just thought this was the quintessential example of peaceful resistance. And because they were singing their way to freedom, it just said to me, this is a musical waiting to happen. I don't have to have people burst into song. They are singing to protest for their freedom. And it just made total sense to me to turn it into an American musical. And the timing is so right. Right now, what we need is joy and coming together and peaceful resistance. And the message couldn't be more important. There are several messages in the piece, one of them being the power of peaceful resistance. Also, how politically we can get distracted and confused by information we're being dealt. Also, a big theme of the show is an act of kindness can change the world. I love that that is one of the strongest messages that this piece has to give the audience because I think it's a beautiful message to leave them with. Oh, I think a small act of kindness can change anything. And I think going to see live theater also changes the world and leaves a message and has inspiration. And that's what I love about going to see live theater and seeing a piece like The Singing Revolution, where you're going to walk out of there and not only be entertained because the music is fantastic, but you're going to be inspired to want to be kind to another person. You want to walk out feeling something, especially now. It's like it's rare that we get to go to see something. Why not go to see something that's going to inspire us? Absolutely. Absolutely. So here you are in this whirlwind of like creating the singing revolution and it's becomes your whole life and it's like you're having a a, a child and then the world is collapsing and we get covid and i know you you packed up your life from manhattan and moved for safety to palm springs but then at the same time with all of this is happening you have personal and family things that are swirling around how are you staying afloat how are you concentrating and how are you taking care of yourself because there's no more room on your plate how i keep myself level-headed is through friends like you brad that keep me level-headed but i i also believe that the universe doesn't hand you more than you can handle. Even though at times it seems like it's unsurmountable, we really can't handle what what the universe hands us. This road that I've gone on with Singing Revolution (laughs) sort of proves that to me. Well, did you ever think that you were a writer, a composer? I did. I did. You know, I've dabbled in it my whole life, but this project just sort of started to come to me. It was, you know, you never know where inspiration comes from. And this just sort of 
kept hitting me. And, and like I said, the story came to me and then everything else just sort of unfolded in a very natural manner. I didn't have to force any of it and, and things felt right. And I understand the structure of American musical theater. And that was very helpful that I was able to construct it so precisely like a, a skeleton of what I knew this musical was supposed to be. You took on a lot with this project, obviously, because also you also had to find donations and find money and had backing. You had so many hats. I think in a normal situation, you could just concentrate on one. But since this is your baby, you're doing so many things. And you realize that so much of this business isn't about if the song works. It's more about like who's writing this check and where do I have to fly here? And you realize that you definitely can't do it alone. So next time when you go to Broadway, you're going to have a big team because we don't want you having a heart attack. Right. Thank you. I appreciate that. It takes a village. It takes a village to get to somewhere like this. Uh, you know, the budget for this show, it's a, it's a very big musical. It's 20 performers. It's five band members, you know, and the creative team we've assembled. I mean, that's 15 to 18 people right there. And we've gotten some of the best of Los Angeles to help put it up on stage. I'm very grateful for that. But it is, it is a challenge to try to find, to balance the creative end versus the financial end of this business. I was very lucky to get the support of people like the Estonian American National Council and many other individual donors that were very generous in getting this to this place. Oh, they must be so proud to have this great historical moment being told through an American musical. Oh, they must be so thrilled. That's really yeah. great. And I love that when you can actually tell a good story that is true. So tell me about this production and about opening that was supposed to happen last week and now it's being rescheduled. So tell me about the creative team and where people can go see it. Sure, sure. Well, just to catch everybody up on the story, this show is supposed to be mounted in Los Angeles in February of 2021. And we were in the we were planning it back in February 2020. I was searching for the theater, landed it, and all of a sudden the pandemic hit and everything closed down. We know what, what happened with that. And then we, we started to revive it saying, we see there's an end in sight. So we, we slated it for January 15th, 2022 in Los Angeles. And we started rehearsals back in November. And at that time, Delta variant was going away and Omicron did not even exist. Well, Omicron took its toll on us. We actually had our first previews in Los Angeles on the 13th and 14th of January. Of the 15th, one of my cast members tested positive. Oh. Out of safety for the entire company, and I'm 100% about their safety. I have been since day one. It was in the best interest of my cast and crew and audience to cancel our opening weekend. Probably one of the hardest decisions I ever had to make, but I knew it was the right decision. We are still on hold. We are not performing this weekend either. And right before I jumped on this call, we are going to officially reopen on Saturday, January 29th and complete our run through February 20th. It's hard to put up a show, but it's even harder to put up a show in a pandemic. We didn't see Omicron coming. Oh. And I'm glad that we are taking all of the safety precautions that Actors' Equity and the CDC guidelines are suggesting and recommending. We are holding very tight to those to the point that we may have some actors in masks on opening night just because they have to complete their quarantine time based on CDC guidelines. It has been a, a big challenge. Our COVID compliance officer, Dex Osling, has been a major, major force in this production, keeping track of everybody, keeping everybody safe and making sure that we proceed safely for everyone. It's been a 24-7 job for Dex. It really has. We, and I didn't see that coming. I thought there would be someone just present at rehearsal to say, you know, 
distance yourselves, have your mask on. But no, uh, he works on it 24 seven, talking to equity, talking to the CDC and making sure we're all safe. It's really, it's a bigger job than most producers might've thought. And it's also new territory. We didn't realize how quickly Omicron was gonna spread and the continued safety measures we had to layer onto the production were quite a, a challenge, but we rose to the occasion and we will reopen. With all that being said, as eloquent and professional, just between Brad and Tony, how are you? Uh, I'm good. I'm good. I've really uh, resigned myself over to the universe that everything happens for a reason. This show will open. And based on the reactions that I was getting from our first two previews, I have big confidence that the show's going to go pretty far. Oh, that's awesome. So you name dropped someone earlier, Dex Oslin. How would I know him? Is he perhaps married to you? (laughs) Yes, he is. So that's another thing that's amazing is that I remember when you met Dex, but you've also been in a long-term successful relationship in this crazy business, traveling all around. The two of you are very different and you are so successful at having a partnership. So how do you maintain that in this crazy business? And Dex also was working at City Center and then you guys tried to do everything creatively on Zoom. It just, life is just complicated and yet you guys survive. I'm very lucky, Brad, I'm very lucky. You know, once you find that life partner, it's it really is a partnership. You know, there are ups and downs, but you get each other through it. I sort of brought Dex into show business when I was on tour with Kathy Rigby, I brought him in. He was working for FedEx at the time and Kathy was in need of a personal assistant. While I was on the road with her, she was like, do you think Dex would be interested? And that brought him to really experience what it's like to be on a national tour. And that production played Madison Square Garden for the Christmas season. And then after that tour, Dex started to work for Broadway Cares, Equity Fights AIDS uh, as their website manager. It went that fast? Oh my gosh. It went that fast. And then from there, he moved to City Center to be their website manager. So, so Broadway he- Cares for that many years. Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah, I saw so, you in Peter Pan in New Haven when you were on tour, but then also at the Marquee. I was in the theater right after you were, so that was very cool. We were nominated for Tonys together. That's right. You yeah, were both best, for Best Revival. Best yeah. Revival. Uh, and you won. <laughs> so there's something that I can't articulate, and so instead I'm going to ask you to articulate it. <laughs> there is an indescribable love that people like you and I have for this business that allows us to keep believing in hope after postponing and breaking hearts and getting replaced and after Omicron. Describe that love that you have for the business, for all of us who share it, for those of us like me who can't put it into words. Theater educates people, entertains people, and enlightens people. And that's the kind of theater that I I love the most. When you walk out of a theater, finding out something that you didn't know before and understanding something you didn't know before. You know, I'm going to cite Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime. Boy, did I learn a lot about people with disabilities that I had no POV on. And the enlightenment that I walked out of that theater with was just brilliant, just brilliant. And that's what I think great theater is. And and many pieces of theater inspire audiences or they're feel-good shows and they make audiences feel good. To move an audience is the the best thing we can do in in show business. And that's what I love about it. 
And how exciting is it? Because we're both, I mean, I'm from Southern California originally, but you spent a great deal of your life there. And that's where I got my theater roots. And then I like left and came to New York City. So is it really fun to be bringing theater from Tony Spinoza to the Los Angeles theater community? Yeah, you know, a lot of people look down on LA theater, but there really is a lot of live theater that happens out here. And it was actually starting to thrive again right before March of 2020. And I talk to the actors that I've cast now and they're like, oh, we were so on a path to really becoming a, a theater town again. And then all of a sudden the pandemic hit. But there's a lot of talent out here, a lot of young, fresh talent that comes out here to try to make it in film and TV. But their roots are in theater. And I'm so lucky to have found the cast that I have. They're so friggin' talented. It's it's crazy. And a lot of them are young, but very talented individuals. Yeah, well, you met me when I was young. And so of all of this wonderful life, what's something that you're really proud of that we haven't talked about? Ah, uh, you know, I, I was thinking about this earlier and something I'm really proud about is every like two, three, four years, I get to work with uh, youth groups and put on shows in like Phoenix, Arizona or uh, in New York or uh, down in Hilton Head, South Carolina. And I get to work with teenagers. They're usually 13 to 18 year olds. And I get to teach them about theater and, and train them about the, the disciplines in theater. And, you know, I usually get to work with, with the youth and for about six to eight weeks at a time and to watch them absorb it like sponges and learn how this craft of theater gives them confidence and a sense of teamwork and to watch them grow in a short amount of time is the greatest gift. It's actually some of the most rewarding work that I've done in my career. See, I think that is amazing and a perfect way to end on the topic, which is support. And you're able to teach these kids at an early age how important support is. So I started the interview talking about how support is important to me and how important is it to share onto people that we need to be supportive of each other and that if people are toxic and they don't believe in what you're doing, right now they don't need to be part of your life. I think that that's something that's important because especially in a career that is so challenging, that if we don't have people that believe in us, we're not going to succeed. I know. So you like the Andrew DeShields quote. Yes, from the Tony Awards. Oh, gosh, I don't want to misquote it, Brad, because he said it so beautifully and eloquently. Paraphrase it how you would say it. Only work with people whose eyes light up when you walk into a room. Excellent. Yeah. And to just riff on your, your idea of support, it's hard in this business because you're dealing with a lot of no's in this business. And you know, you're looking for that one yes. But to have the self-confidence and know yourself and believe in yourself, I think is the most valuable thing that keeps you going in this business because there are so many obstacles against you. There is no clear way to Broadway or to stardom. You've got to just keep the faith and know yourself and believe in yourself. And I think that that's the strongest thing that has gotten me through my career. And have you always believed in yourself? No, I had to learn that. I had to learn that. That's part of growing older and not listening to everybody who's throwing you the negatives, you know, people saying, who wants to see a musical about people singing for their freedom? I've gotten that comment from very good friends and I I just had to fluff it off and say, I believe there's a lot of people that could grow from this and learn from this. You know, I'd like to be nine people's favorite things than 900 people. Ninth favorite thing. Absolutely. Like on my dream board is a ticket of the night that you, me and your mom and Dex got to go see a title of show, the concert. And just you've always sending me tickets and just always been supportive and a great theater colleague and also wonderful theater friend. I do love that. Musical theater people and theater people are definitely different type of support that we have for each other. 
and you do get to become family. And that's what I miss so much is just being around that. I miss you and miss your freaking face. I know my family will be at your show and I'll see it when it comes to Broadway. It's going to be fantastic. So I'm, I'm so happy that you said yes to this. Is there anything uh, that you kind of want to end this on? Yeah, come see us at the Broadwater Theater in Los Angeles. You can get tickets at www.singingrevolutionthemusical.com. We'll be playing Friday, Saturdays, and Sundays from January 29th to February 20th. And we'd look forward to seeing you there. It's a fabulous show. And then it'll be all around the universe in the years to come. So what song would you like to play out at the end of this podcast? You know, there are three. One of them was Baby Dream Your Dream from Sweet Chair. The second one was Hannah Weddingham on Ted Lasso, Never Gonna Give You Up. That was the second one. But then I finally settled on What I Did for Love from a chorus. Original Broadway cast recording? Yes. Yes, please. Priscilla Lopez. Yes. Absolutely. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Brad. It's been a pleasure being here. Kiss today. Goodbye. The sweetness and the sorrow. Wish me luck the same to you But I can't regret what I did for love What I did for love Look my eyes The gift was ours to borrow It's as if we always knew And I won't forget what I did for love What I did for
This is Lifted Up from The Singing Revolution, featuring Neil Haskell. visit you in Palm Springs. Let's go Brad husband shopping. Uh, blah, blah, blah. I love you. 